Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start there this morning. 1 John is all the way in the back of your Bible. A couple books right before um, the book of Revelation. This month, it's um, it's our memory verse this month, and uh, we're also going to be learning how um, how perfect love conquers fear. We look here in, ver- in chapter four, verse eighteen. It says there, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect." In love, let's go ahead and bow to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and um, get started this morning. Father, we thank you so much again, Lord, for your love, Lord. That um, hopefully this month, as we um, learn more about this perfect love, Father, we we're surrounded by fear, and uh, Lord, it's so easy for us to get um, a hold in our own lives, Lord. And Father, I pray that uh, as we learn how to get rid of that fear, that you would use it uh, to help us to serve you, Lord. And I pray, God, that this morning that uh, your message would bless uh, those who are listening. Lord, speak to hearts. I pray that you would um, just encourage them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, In order to understand this verse, though, we have to learn what fear is and how love affects it. Uh, fear is an uneasiness of mind upon the thought of future evil likely to befall us. I mean, when you know, fear is not where you're thinking of what good is going to happen in your life. Uh, the fear is, is you you you're afraid of what the the bad things are going to happen in your life, the evil things, and um, this fear is different than what the Bible tells us that a believer's fear of the Lord is. Because a believer knows that God will not cause any evil against them. Though something may happen in our lives that would bring us sorrow, a Christian understands and knows that Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We learned that verse just earlier this year. The bad or evil things that happen in our life, they're not caused by the Lord. You see, fear shows itself in many forms. Worry, anxiety, panic, depression, hopelessness are all forms or degrees of fear. Many of us are held captive often by some of these emotions. And it puts us in complete bondage. Our fears limit us in our service for God. It steals our joy and our peace. And ultimately, it robs our future and our present. Some examples of how fear stops you from serving God are uh, maybe you won't talk to someone about the Lord because of their physical appearance or that they may reject what you say. You know, They may be another race or religion and you let your fears stop you from giving them a track. Or just talking to them about the Lord, how they can get saved. 
Another example would be maybe you don't attend church on Sunday or the Wednesday evening Bible study because you're afraid of what someone may ask or say to you if they find out. Another one is maybe you only read your Bible or pray in secret because you're afraid someone may mock you. Maybe you're afraid to serve God because of what your family and your friends may say or think of you. These are all legitimate fears. Can I be honest with you? I probably could put my name on every single one of those at one point in my life. You know, when I first got saved, man, I I was kind of scared. You know, I was kind of worried what everybody was going to think about me. We all go through that. Um, we're not allowed. We're not supposed to allow those fears to stop us from serving God. See, we live in a world today that is in the grips of fear. The media broadcasts it constantly. They report all the bad things happening around you, and pretty soon you're afraid to even leave your house. I mean, you, you watch the evening news, and most of it is, you know, this person stabbed this person, and this person robbed this person, and uh, all these tragedies that are happening around you, and pretty soon, you know, you're you're looking at everybody and saying, "Man, is is he gonna is he gonna get me?" You know, or um, you know, and you have that fear in your life. We're not supposed to have that fear. Remember the uh, all the hysteria about diseases and 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 uh, illnesses like Ebola and the bird flu, the swine flu, the West Nile virus. I mean, when they first came out. I mean, the media broadcast it like this was an, uh, an epidemic and, and, uh, people were, were, um, you know, it was gonna, it was gonna be like the, the plague, you know, the bubonic plague where millions of people were gonna die and, and in reality, not a lot of people did. But they took that and they just, and they made people fear. World events, sometimes like hurricanes and storms. But how many of these storms were blown out of proportion by the media and the world around us? Just recently, you know, that storm, that, that, uh, the hurricane that was going over Florida, you know, it had like the, you know, they took a picture of it and it looked like a skull, you know, and they said, this is going to be the worst one ever. And it actually hardly hit Florida at all. It, it went back out into the ocean. But people were saying, it's, this is doomsday. This, you know, this is going to be the worst hurricane in history, you know, and so people were fleeing for their lives because the media was telling them that if you stay, you're going to die. They broadcast fear. Now, how about elections? The media has people terrified about what could happen and is letting people's imaginations run wild. Just for example, and I'm not going to dwell on this much, but when Trump was the victor of the American elections, the response of those who didn't vote for him was that he is the Antichrist and that he's going to bring forth Armageddon. You know what? Eight years ago, I remember people saying the same thing about Obama. Has it happened? No. But people are letting their fears run wild. They're letting the media just amp them up and so they're afraid of what could happen and most likely it's not going to happen but yet in their minds they they they're fearing what could and it's destroying them the reason why you and i are afraid and let fear have place in our life is because we can't see the future we can't even see what's going to happen today we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You see, that that unknown, 
whether in our life or our loved ones, is people's greatest fear of all. You see, there used to be at one time that was actually a good thing that people feared death because you could tell them hope, how they didn't have to fear death anymore. But now people just don't care. They think, well, if I die, I die, and I'll just go, just go to the grave. You know, and that'll be the end of my life. They don't fear what is beyond death. And that's why we need to tell them that there is a devil's hell for them if they don't turn to Christ and believe. People don't believe it, so they don't fear it. So how do we get victory over fear running our lives? The verse has the answer. It says perfect love. So what is perfect love? Perfect love is the love that is completely trusting of another. It's a love that gives you rest and peace, even though the storm is raging around you. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8, verse number 22. We'll be finishing our time here in First John, so go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Here's a perfect example of how that perfect love cast out fear. Verse 22 says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. I mean, you look at the story here. I mean, they're, you know, going across uh, the, the Sea of Galilee there. And, uh, I mean, you know, it starts off peaceful. And, and, uh, and so as they're sailing, Jesus falls asleep. You know, he's, he, it's been a tiring day. And so he just takes a nap. Well, while he's sleeping, there comes this storm of wind upon the lake. And the waves are, uh, so high that they're, they're actually coming inside the boat. And the boat was starting to fill up with water. I mean, you can imagine, you know, the disciples, I mean, these were seasoned fishermen. And, uh, and so, I mean, you know, they're starting to bail out that water because, uh, they, if, if they know that if the water keeps coming in, they're going to sink. And, uh, but they were so full of despair that they go to him and they, and they wake him up and, and, um, say, you know, master, master, we perish. We're going to die. This is gonna. This is the doom. This is this is this is the end of us. Let us see what what happens. You know, then he arose and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased and there was a calm. You see, Jesus knew that they were going to be okay. It wasn't his time to die yet. He knew that it wasn't, because he knew that ultimately he had to go to the cross. But this storm was a test for the disciples to see whether or not they really 
had faith in him and that God would take care of them. That's why he asked me, he says, where's your faith? Where's your trust? You see, Jesus had that perfect love because he knew that no matter what, no matter the situation that was going around him, that God was going to take care of him. You see, perfect love is a faith in someone in which you have no worry or fear of any evil coming from them. Now, many times we we try to put that love in people. And sadly, they're going to fail us. This is because they are not perfect and that they will fail and they will fall. You see, sadly, people will disappoint you. The real answer, though, is putting that love towards God. When you have that trust and faith that God will take care of you no matter what else is happening around you in your life, that is perfect love. I mean, we've all been through some tragedies. We've probably all been through some heartaches. And it's during those times when you draw close to God, you know what? You know in your heart, say, you know what? No matter what happens, I know God's going to get me through this. That's the perfect love. That's knowing and trusting that God is going to take care of you. And when you put your rest and your trust and you give everything to God, He takes that fear. That perfect love, it casts out fear. It takes it and it throws it out of your life and enables you to serve God and others. You know, to cast something is, you know, you see fishermen, you know, and and when they have the the lure and stuff like that and they're on their reel, and when they let go, they're casting that bait out into the water. It's no longer on them or in their in their vicinity. You know, they're like this piece of paper, they're throwing it. They're no longer retaining it. They're no longer keeping it. And so when we allow that perfect love in our lives, God takes that fear and He throws it out of our heart. And it enables us to be able to serve Him. Enables us to be able to serve others as well. Now this morning, I want to look at an example of perfect love and how it casts out fear. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, this morning to Daniel chapter 3. Book of Daniel chapter 3. Go in your Bible, uh, mill your Bible and start turning a few books to your right. Right after Ezekiel is the book of Daniel. And we're going to pretty much stay here the rest of the morning. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 1. Now, verse number one says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here we're, we're being introduced to a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon. And not only just of Babylon, but of the known world at that time. Uh, Babylon conquered everything around them. And, um, and so he has this image, this statue of gold created. And I mean, you know, the, the size of the statue was massive. It was 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. Or if you, if you need the metric system, it's 27 and a half meters tall and three meters wide. 
I mean, this thing was massively huge. Now, some people believe that Nebuchadnezzar created a statue of himself and for everyone to worship him as a god. Though he was very prideful and God would one day deal with him in regards to that, I don't know if that's what he created. The Bible doesn't say what it was. It just says that it was an image or a statue. It could have been an obelisk. Who knows? It could have been uh, you know, a deity that, that Nebuchadnezzar uh, worshipped uh, that was of the Babylonians. Um, either way, no matter what it was, this statue was something that Nebuchadnezzar created. Look at verse number 2. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So basically, he, he sends for everybody who's important. I mean, from uh, the local authorities all the way to the bigwigs in his government. And uh, they want to dedicate this statue. And as all these men and, and uh, possibly women, we don't know, but as, as they are standing around this statue, uh, verse number four says, Then a herald cried aloud, says, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackfoot, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And that at what time, or sorry, and, um, and so, we hear, we see here that whenever this music, whenever they start hearing music playing, that they were ordered to bow down and to worship the statue. But look at verse number six and verse number seven. It makes a clear warning. It says, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So we just looked at a decree that was made. But now we're going to see that the decree is defied. Look at verse number 8 there. It says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Uh, so these men are quick to point out that, you know what? Someone's not obeying your law. Someone is not obeying what you have decreed. And uh, we just want to remind you, you know, what you had said, you know, if they don't obey, that you're supposed to destroy them. And look at verse number 12. It says here, there are certain Jews 
whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. See, they didn't like these Jews now being rulers over their uh, um, their provinces. You see, the, uh, Daniel had asked that these men be be put into into position of uh, of leadership uh, to protect them and things like that. And um, and so the the Chaldeans, those of Babylon, they didn't like having these foreign Jews tell them and what to do. They didn't like their leadership. They didn't like them ruling over them. And so they made a point uh, to, to call them out by name. They said that they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they accused these men that they were defying the king, they were defying his gods, and defying the statue that was made. So they blew it kind of a little bit out of proportion because they wanted to get rid of these men out of out of their province. Now look at verse number 13, what their response does to King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. You see, these men knew that the king had a temper. Boy, did he have a temper. He was very quick to get angry. And they fueled it perfectly into the point where Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and a fury. So that he demanded these men be brought before him. And in his anger, he forgot his promise to Daniel. See, when you try to serve God and do what God says to do, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face people that are going to try to, to stop you, that are going to, um, you know, they, they, they might try to, uh, Remove you, I guess you could say. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had made a decree that forced these men, on pain of death, to decide who they could worship. It was either worship the gods and image that Nebuchadnezzar told them to, or to worship the God of heaven and earth. If they did not worship how he told them to, they were going to die. Now, there may be laws that will force us to decide on what we will obey someday. Thankfully, Ireland has got um, freedom of religion, so to speak. You know, we can meet here publicly and and uh, and really have no fear of persecution of the government coming in and trying to shut us down. At least not yet. But there are countries today where it is illegal to hold a church service, especially if it's a Christian church service. If they are found out, they could be imprisoned or killed. Yet, no matter the risk, they are still meeting. I mean, we, we read about it all the time in, in uh, uh, the letters that we receive from Brother Figali. You know, in the Middle East, and uh, there's a lot of underground churches all throughout there. Um, and yet, because they know that they would rather obey God and, and, uh, and have that fellowship than live in fear and terror. There will come a time that you must decide if you will follow God and what His Word says or what man's laws will force upon you. Isn't that what the Sanhedrin tried to do with the disciples? They said, you know, we'll let you go, but just don't speak in this 
name of Jesus. You can, you can, you can go your way, but just don't preach anymore in his name. What do the disciples respond? We'd rather obey God than man. There's going to come a time in your life where the law may say you can't, you can't hand out a tract. You can't go and tell somebody about Christ. You can't put a leaflet in a door. You can't preach about so-and-so subjects. And you're going to have to decide, am I going to obey God or am I going to obey the rules of man? You see, man's laws always change. But God's law never changes. These men, they knew they were put into a position where they had to make a decision. They were to either obey God or they were going to have to obey Nebuchadnezzar's rule and bow down to the statue. I mean, look at it. I mean, uh, here, what's, you know, to some people say, what's the big deal? All you got to do is just bow down to the statue and, and you'll be fine. You don't have to worry about it. Just, you know, yeah, you may not be worshiping the statue in your heart, but just do it anyway. That's what a lot of the world says. Why don't, you know, this, this is okay. But God says, don't ever bow before any statue. That's, one, that's an abomination to God. And so they knew that. And they said, you know what? Even though we could make it look easy, we could just bow down and everything would be all right. Nobody would know. But they knew that God would know. And that they would break His Word. And they decided, we're going to obey God rather than man. Look at verse number 14. We see that the decree is fulfilled. Verse 14 says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? He's now giving them an opportunity to change their mind. He is being, he is being gracious at this, at this moment. And he tells them straightway that if they do not worship his image, then they're going to die. He's given them one, op- one last opportunity. Look at verse number 15. It says, Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, good. But if ye worship not, ye shall be the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery, furnace look at this comment that he makes and who is that god that shall deliver you out of my hands he's pretty cocky here he makes a very interesting comment he says what god could possibly deliver them out of his hands if they refused you see nebuchadnezzar did not believe in the supreme authority of jehovah god the father he didn't believe it. I mean, he's, he's conquered all these cities, all these nations that worship these other idols. I mean, he conquered Jerusalem. He destroyed Jerusalem. So he really didn't see Jehovah God as really a big threat. And, uh, and so he said, who is, who is the God that's going to deliver you out of my hand? I've got control. I've got the power here. Makes a very interesting comment. But look at how these men respond in verse number 16. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful 
to answer thee in this matter. So we're not, we're not gonna, um, we don't need time to prepare an answer. We already know what we decided. We already know what our decision is gonna be. They were committed and they were ready. Look at verse 17, it says, and if it be so, this is a response to him. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of Thine hand, O King. But if not, be it known unto Thee, O King, that we will not serve Thy gods, nor worship the golden image which Thou hast set up. When we look at these verses, we actually see that perfect love. You see, certain death is standing before them if they refuse to worship the statue. I mean, there's no, there's no if and buts about it. Um, they didn't know what was going to happen a few verses later. To them, death was the answer. But they said, you know what? No matter what you can do to us, we are not going to worship your gods. And they were not afraid. These men, I mean, they were standing. I think they had their, he- their heads held up. And they say, we are not going to bow down to your gods. We are not going to bow down to your statue. No matter the risk, no matter the cost that it will, that it's going to have in our life. See, their love and their faith in God was so strong that no matter what Nebuchadnezzar threatened them with, they would not obey his decree. I mean, you, you hear of all the, the stories of the, the martyrs of the Christian faith. Who, um, you know, stood for the word of God and, and, um, would not renounce their faith. And because they would not renounce their faith, they had to, uh, they were burned alive or they were tortured and different things. And, and yet they would not recant. They would, they stood their ground. And you know what a lot of them were doing when, and when they were put to death? They were singing. They were praising God. They were thanking God for his goodness, for his mercy. That is the kind of love that is that perfect love. Where, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die. But if there comes a time where I have to stand for my faith, I'm hoping that my love is so perfect for the Lord that I'll have no fear. They're standing and they're saying, we're not going to bow. You see, but here's the thing though. They did not know if God would spare them from death. They left their lives in God's hands. They let Him decide. They knew that He was able to deliver them. And whether dead or alive, they knew that they would be delivered out of the king's hand and power. What was the worst that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be able to do to them? Kill them? They knew that there was a place after death that was a whole lot better than the life that we live. The king was ruler of everything in the known world. What he said was obeyed. He controlled the world. Yet here, if you look here in verse number, um, in verse number 17, he says, and we, he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Nebuchadnezzar is used to controlling everything, to having power over everything. 
And here they made a declaration to him that's saying, our lives are not in your hands. You may think that you have our life, but you don't. Our lives are in God's hands. They said that even if they were to perish, that the king could not force them to worship the statue. Look at verse number 19. Not a good response from Nebuchadnezzar. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his his visage his his uh, visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Uh, I mean, their response put Nebuchadnezzar into a seething rage. I mean, have you ever seen someone so angry that their whole countenance just changes? I mean, it just, it's just, it's terrifying. It's frightful. And here, Nebuchadnezzar is so much in a rage that, I mean, his you could just tell it on his face that he wants these men destroyed. He wants them killed. I mean, he even says that he wants the furnace heated seven times hotter normally than it would be. Here you get to, you see what wrath does to a person. Nebuchadnezzar is completely unreasonable. And he just wants the objects of his anger eliminated as fast as possible. When we allow our anger to become rage, wrath is quickly to follow, and you will do something foolish and something you will regret. This verse is a warning to you and I to not ever let us get to that point where we allow wrath into our life. Because we'll, we'll do some stupid things. We'll do some really foolish things. Look at verse number 20. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. You kind of wonder, why would he have to get his strongest men to bind them? He was wanting to make sure that what they said was going to happen, was not going to happen. He wanted to make sure that they were going to die. He wanted to make sure they weren't going to escape. Because, I mean, can you imagine if they somehow escaped and, you know, they said, well, you know, we, we were delivered out of, out of the hand of, of Nebuchadnezzar. It would show that Nebuchadnezzar didn't have control over their life. And they'd be able to give glory to, to God if they escaped. So he made sure, he took his strongest warriors, his biggest, I mean, you got, these guys are burly men. And um, they're binding them up with cords and rope. And uh, I mean, they didn't take any time. They, they hurried up and did that. Well, looks what happened in verse number 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. As they went to, to cast these men into the furnace, as they went into the furnace, the flames reached out and consumed the strongest men that were 
in Nebuchadnezzar's army. I mean, this this isn't just some little furnace either. I mean, you got to we're going to look here. I mean, this it's big enough where it, it had to be massive. This thing had to be massive to where it had its own window and door and everything else that you could go into this thing. I mean, this thing was huge. And as they were cast into this furnace, the flames destroyed the their accusers, so to speak, their captors. And look at verse number 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. In other words, he was astonished. And he rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And the answer said unto the king, True, O king. Yeah, we, you know, there's only three. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's only three that we saw that we cast into there. I mean, the king thought that he had finished with those that he saw as defying his command. But he heard no screams. He heard nothing at all. And uh, again, there, this furnace had to be so big that there had to be some kind of either a window or, or something where, where he could see inside this furnace. Because what he sees completely startles him. I mean, he gets out of his seat. And, uh, you know, he is, he's just astonished. He's like, uh, didn't we cast three men? Because look at this next verse. We see why he's so worried. And the answer is said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I mean, he sees four men. And I mean, again, this furnace has got to be pretty big because they're walking around. You know, they're, they're not bound up. They're walking around. They're walking around with this fourth man. And um, that fourth man didn't look like the other three. And he knew that there was something special about this fourth man. And he declares the, the, the fourth one looks like it's the Son of God. And the neat thing is, in your Bible, it has a capital S. He's seeing Christ. Pre-incarnation of Christ. He is seeing Christ in that fire with them. And he's completely shocked. Look at verse number 26. You know, he can't believe his eyes. And so then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. <laughs> then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. I mean, he he just doesn't know what this image is that he's seeing. And so, just out of curiosity, I think, he's just saying, Why don't, come on out. Why don't you guys come on out? Surely, you've got to be dead. There's no way that you can't be burned. And when they stepped out, I think they were quite shocked. Look at verse 27. And the, and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an heir of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. 
You know, the only thing that, that was consumed and burned up in that fire was the bounds, the ropes that held them. Nothing else on their person was touched. Just the ropes that had kept them bound up. I mean, in that much heat, you would think even like their hair would even just be singed. I mean, have you ever, you know, you probably maybe got to a candle too close one time and, you know, and you accidentally burned the hairs on your arm or a fire, you know, a bonfire. And uh, I've done that before. Not a fun thing to do. And it, it smells nasty. <laughs> um, but here, nothing was wrong with them. Nothing was singed. Nothing was burnt. And um, look at his response in verse number 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own God. When he saw them, he realized yet again that he had done foolishly. This isn't the first time that he's done foolishly. The first time was when he made that decree about uh, when he had the dream of uh, the statue and had different parts. He said, uh, if no one can tell me this dream, I'm killing everybody who is, uh, you know, magicians and and, and uh, seers, all that kind of stuff who uh, might be able to tell their, their dreams and stuff like that. And uh, Daniel and his friends were among those people that um, that had could tell people what the Word of God says and things like that. And thankfully, God gave Daniel a dream and told him what these things meant. But it was only after much prayer. Daniel asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to covenant with them to pray and not to cease from praying until God gave him the answer to this this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Because he wouldn't tell anybody what the dream was. He wanted them to tell him because, you know, when you tell somebody a dream, you know, then they can kind of give you whatever, you know, thing they come up with. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell anyone. And so when God gave Daniel the dream, uh, Daniel told him what happened. And um, Nebuchadnezzar was so shocked and, and so thankful that he promoted Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was in the chapter before this. Um, but here he realizes yet again, he made a hasty decree. He made a hasty decision. He knew that their God had delivered them out of His hand and that it was their faith in God that had done it. He noted that they even yielded their bodies to death and still would not bow down before any other God. Look at verse number 29. Therefore, He makes another decree. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Again, Nebuchadnezzar, he conquered the known world. He conquered all the other nations who worshipped all these other gods that were in their lands. And yet he knew 
there was no other God that could deliver after this sort. No one else had the power that God alone has. Look at verse number 30. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So their faith was that they had their life back. You know, they weren't looking at this as, you know, we're going to get something out of our faith. No, God rewarded them for their faith. And when we stand for our faith, God will bless us for it. He will reward us for it. Now, sometimes we may not think that anything good is happening when we're going through persecution. But when that persecution is done and over with, that's when you can look back and say, wow, thank you, Lord. I mean, you look here, Nebuchadnezzar was a very bloody man. I mean, first thing, he, he likes to kill people, as you can tell. And yet, the decree that he makes is one of respect towards God. You see, they proved that God was real to Nebuchadnezzar. And this was going to do something in Nebuchadnezzar's heart that Nebuchadnezzar will never forget. Not only is it recorded in the Word of God for our edification, our learning, but as you read chapter 4, you can find out what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. It's one of most interesting testimonies in the Bible. You won't be disappointed if you take time to read it. I encourage you to read it this afternoon. Nebuchadnezzar, there's a change that happens in Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't want to give the secret away. I want, to, I want you to read your Bible. But you won't be disappointed to see what God does in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. So in conclusion this morning, we live in a world that promotes fear. But we as Christians, we don't have to let it affect us. Instead of worrying about what could happen, be content in the now. I, I know it's hard not to worry. I know it's hard not to, to be filled with anxiety for our loved ones and, you know, and their future and what's going to happen in their life, but we need to, to focus on the now. You know, rather than saying, what, what's going to happen to my kids ten years down the road? Spend the moments you have now with them. Because you may not have ten years with them. Take the time and, 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 and spend it wisely. You see, worry steals your joy. You can worry all you want, but your worry will not change things. It won't change them. There's a lot of things that we have that we go through in life that, that we worry about and our worry cannot help one bit. It doesn't do anything to it. And yet, we allow that worry to consume us. And you know that worry and anxiety, they have physical effects on us. They destroy our health. That's why God says, don't worry. Trust me. Instead of worrying, pray. If something concerns you, Pray about it. Then give it to God and let Him deal with it. Don't try to deal with it yourself and, and fret about what's going to happen. Let Him deal with it. If you're worried about world events, give it to God. He's in control anyway. He's the one that can turn the heart of a king. 
There's no point in arguing over what-ifs and letting our imaginations run wild about something that could and probably will never happen. As we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the key to removing your fear is developing a relationship with God. The more you love Him and closer you get to Him, the less you'll be afraid of what happens in your life. You see, fear torments you. God does not want you to deal with that. Give it to Him. Give that fear to Him. John 14.27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Here he's saying, don't let the world trouble you. Trust me. Put your faith in me. I'll give you the peace for your life. Psalm 56.3 is probably one of my favorite verses. It says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. You know what? There's still going to come times when we get afraid. We're going to, we get scared. We get uncertain about what's going to happen in our life. And instead of fretting over those times, be like David. Say, you know what? What time I am afraid, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you, God. I'm going to let you handle this rather than let the fear conquer my heart. Have you let fear rob you of serving God and doing what He'd like you to do? Have you been afraid of giving out of a track? Afraid to come to church because of what your family and friends say? Have you been ashamed to pray or read your Bible in front of others? Or have you been afraid to follow God and serve Him with your life? We've all been through those fears at one time or another. Don't let them keep you from serving God. Perhaps this morning, you've been afraid to get saved. You've been afraid of what others may think. Do you really want to risk your life and spend an eternity in hell because you're afraid of what someone else thinks? I remember when I was uh, first coming to church and uh, hearing the gospel for the first time. And uh, the church that's in my hometown is about 800 people that I was going to. And uh, that's a lot of people. And um, they usually every Sunday they would hold an invitation. And they would, they would, you know, ask people if they want, you know, if, if there's someone there that wanted to get saved or just to spend time with God to, to come forward, you know, at the invitation time and they could pray and, um, you know, they could talk to one of the, the pastors and they could show them how they could get saved. Well, the Lord started convicting me of my sin and I needed to get saved. But because there were so many people, I was afraid to go forward. I was afraid people would be watching and, you know, as soon as I started going for it, oh, there goes Andrew Day. He's going to get saved. I was afraid of what people were going to say. And you know what? That kept me from getting saved for about two weeks. I mean, I was under conviction. I knew that I was lost. I knew that I needed to get saved. But I was letting that fear stop me from getting saved because I was afraid of what people would think. And you know what? If I were to have died in those two weeks, I would have gone straight to hell. I'm thankful that God gave me the grace and He didn't take my life then. But when I did get saved, I was still battling that fear. The Holy Spirit actually had to say, you know what? If you don't get saved, 
you are never going to see your sister again. You're on your way to hell if you don't get saved. And I finally said, okay, I'm not, I'm not, playing, I'm not playing Russian roulette with my soul anymore. I'm going forward. And I didn't care who was watching. I didn't care who was looking. I knew that Jennifer was looking because uh, afterwards, um, and she'll tell you this herself, when she saw me, uh, when she saw me get out of that, that aisle, <coughs> excuse me, her and her sister immediately started praying for me that I wouldn't stop, that I would, that I actually would trust Christ. Because they have been praying for me for several weeks up to that point, ever since I met them. And, um, and so I didn't care what anybody saw, what everybody thought. And, um, as they were dealing with me, they then, you know, the, the, the pastor who was leading me to, uh, show me how to get saved, he said, so do you want to get baptized? I was like, what is it? <laughs> you know, cause I, you know, the couple of weeks that I had been there, I had seen somebody get baptized and, and, um, I had went with my uncle years ago when I was just a little kid and he was in a, uh, he went to, a, he was going to a Methodist church and I saw someone get baptized there. And I saw that and I'm like, I ain't doing that, you know, <laughs> because I was afraid. I'm not, a, I'm not someone who liked to be in front of others. And he just told me, he said, you know what? This is just a public testimony of you wanting to trust Christ as your Savior and wanting to live for Him. And so I said, okay, no problem then. And, um, and so I went back there and I was baptized. And um, I'm glad I did because I think if I would have waited, I would have let that fear of standing up in front of everybody and getting baptized in front of everybody I thought that was going to keep that probably would have kept me from getting baptized in the future. You see, we need to not let our fears keep us from serving God. And if you've never been born again, please come talk to me after the morning service. If you have any doubts whether or not you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, please come talk to me. Don't let your fear stop you from making the one decision that will last with you for all of eternity. Let's go ahead and um, go with our hymnal here. We'll go actually. Let's go ahead and bow a word of prayer, and then we'll sing our hymn for the this morning. Father, we thank you so much again. God, I'm thankful that you've given us um, illustrations in the Old Testament, Lord of of New Testament truths. Lord, how perfect love cast out fear. And as we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, their, their love was was so great for you, Lord. They would not bow to any other God. They would not worship any other God. It didn't matter what decree was made. It didn't matter what the consequence. They knew that they trusted their life with you. And Lord, I'm thankful that I had trusted my life with you. And I just ask, Lord, that just encourage us, Lord, when when we are afraid, that God, instead of letting that fear and worry rule our lives, destroy our lives, Take that joy and that peace out of our heart. God, that we would turn to You instead. That we would give it to You and let You take care of that fear. Because, Lord, You said that love will cast out that fear. And, um, Lord, I thank You so much that there are times in my life where You have done that. Lord, just as we are in a, a world that promotes fear, it is easy to get afraid of things in our life. Lord, that's when we just have to trust You. 
We have to lean upon you. We have to just um, give our heart and our life to you, Lord. And you'll take care of us every step of the way. Father, I pray again, Lord, if there's someone here that is not saved, God, that they would, Lord, not allow that fear to keep them from getting saved. Lord, they wouldn't allow what other people thought or different things, Lord, that that may have been keeping them from, from salvation. But God, that they would make that decision to get saved even today. Father, I thank you again for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.